welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast series. I'm Nina Lockwood, founder and director of Intuitive Interim and Executive Search. Throughout this series, I will be sharing engaging conversations with talented leaders from across the UK transport sector. Today, I am delighted to welcome Lorraine Martins, OBE, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Network Rail to the Intuitive Insights podcast. Lorraine will share her career journey so far and also her own values and inspirations and motivations, which um, I really do hope that you find interesting as I did. Lorraine Martins, MBE, welcome to this uh, episode of the Intuitive Insights podcast. I'm absolutely delighted that you have joined me, really over the moon. And for the probably, you know, one or two people in the uh, in the rail industry or the universe, actually, who don't know what you do, Lorraine, you're the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Network Rail, aren't you? That's correct. And thank you for, for inviting me to join you on this podcast, uh, Nina. And, and just a slight correction, I, I'm now an OBE. Apparently, that's a, a promotion. So, yeah, that happened at the beginning of, of this year. So for services for network rail and for mentoring. So uh, imagine. I did know that, actually. And it was. <laughs> thank you for correcting me. I'm going to blame the heat, Lorraine. Sat in a little, little box in the garden. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How amazing. But not doesn't surprise me in the least. As you know from previous conversations, without wishing to sound too sycophantic about it, I have never heard you speak or been in your company without being completely and totally inspired. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation and being able to share it with our audience audience as well who I know are going to love it so we're going to start in time honored way um one of the things that that I'm really interested in and probably why I do the job that I do I'm interested in people's stories I like to know where they've come from why they do the job they do in the industry they do it in and and kind of how they got there and this is one of the things which our audience tell us they they love because they get to see people in really senior positions in our industry um, and we know you for what you do now but but not everybody knows where that comes from um, so I wonder if I can start off by asking you to share your journey so far where did it begin and how did you get where you are today oh brilliant um, and that's a, a really great question and how do you con- concertina so much such a varied kind of career so so, uh, Nina, I, I guess my career spans the voluntary sector, the private sector and the public sector. I've worked in adult literacy, um, training adults to uh, become more functionally literate. And, and, and that was a really important experience in terms of um, helping me to train people and understand how adults learn and, and also to try and make uh, quite complex theories and ideas straightforward so that people can understand them and uh, and I think that's been one of the kind of values that I've tried to take forward with me if I can make the the cab driver or uh you know somebody else understand what I'm doing then then I've kind of hit the the nail on the head so adult literacy was was kind of where it started and I did that as a voluntary um work before I became a, a kind of project coordinator whilst my very first job was in the health service in a hospital uh as a as a clerk to a chest clinic, a very uh, esteemed uh, 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 consultant of, of chest, all things to do with the chest and thoracic behaviour. And I guess that helped me to hone some of my organisational skills, uh, my curiosity. Um, so I kind of changed the system that we were using really quickly and caused a little bit of angst for, I remember the PA at the time, because I, I was kind of stepping on her territory, which was all to the good. And then after the adult literacy work, I, I, I did what I call my kind of sexiest work, <laughs> which was campaigning for racial justice, so campaigning for racial justice and, and, and against police harassment in the East End of London for, a, a, again, a small voluntary organisation. And I think it was sexy work because it was we had no boundaries. It was, you know, 24 hours. Um, I was a caseworker. People would phone up and say they were experiencing race harassment or harassment from the police, mm-hmm. and we would marshal our support. There would be some campaigns, and I remember um, uh, Newham, the local borough that we were working in in the East End of London, was the first borough to evict people who were responsible for racist harassment. So, you know, again, I guess 
campaigning for social justice, really kind of helping people to get their, their just desserts was a really important facet, I guess, of, of my, my values and, and, and thinking. I, I've worked in mental health, so I managed a mental health provision, which was um, a second stage hospital for people who are highly, highly vulnerable and, and, uh, um, and needing really uh, lots of medication and, and help in that regard, as well as a daycare provision and a women's project. Um, that was an important facet of my work. Again, it was within the voluntary sector and working with social services and health, health services. And it was where I learned that I wasn't superwoman. So up until that point, everything that I had done, I had turned to gold. And this was an environment in which um, it was highly dysfunctional. So, you know, our, our, our employees weren't delivering the service that they need, needed. The, the, the clients, our, our services were highly vulnerable and we just could not turn it around. So um, I share that because I've, you know, I'm deeply rooted in the voluntary sector and I've also developed services in, in Newham around uh, daycare provision, reminiscence classes for in the independent sector. Um, so yeah, a whole raft of stuff. So I've worked in regeneration um, uh, in, in terms of fast forwarding to, 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 to network rail. I worked on the construction of the Olympic Park mm. Mm-hmm. which introduced me to construction and engineering and, and I guess paved the way for my entry into uh, Network Rail. So it all things, you know, small organisations and behemoths like, like Network Rail. Um, and also, whilst I'm doing that, some voluntary activities, so volunteering, but also what's sitting on voluntary boards, like, so, and the, lap, the National lap, Lottery Board when that was being introduced. Okay. Helping under ch- child, so as a charitable foundation, and I was the vice chair of the Trust for London, which um, addresses poverty and inequality in London. And I'm really proud of that work because it, you know, we help support the living wage, which is now the real living wage, which impacts on people's pay. And I'm proud to say that Network Rail is a, a living wage employer, along with five thousand other organisations. Mm-hmm. And also, I've done some, you know, kind of independent stuff. I was on the the uh, Windrush Review, looking at all of the kind of issues that had impacted on, on that community. So I guess the kind of themes that, you know, the themes to my career, I was thinking about this. Um, I'm really keen to, I'm very values driven. Yeah. Um, so I'm really keen to make a difference, make an impact. And it doesn't have to be big difference. You know, it's really things that make a difference to people's lives and enabling people to get equal if not better treatment and to change and transform things and I guess that's that's a kind of whistle-stop tour of, of my career and I guess why am I network rail um the opportunity to work ac- across such an expansive business when I joined we were 34,000 employees mm. currently at 43,000 employees so we, we we've grown and um it was really to set up the approach to diversity and inclusion with some rigour and robustness and, and really, in my view, to try and help change the rail industry. So, you know, as an ageing sector, yeah. um, skill shortage, really important for us to start to reach out and, and reflect the communities that we serve. So, you know, opportunities that work in a, a, a large institutions like Network Rail don't come very often. So. I kind of seize that opportunity with, with both hands and, and they say, I guess, the rest is history. So a couple of thoughts from me on that, Lorraine. First of all, having listened to that and that, as you say, that whistle-stop tour of where you started and where you where you are so far, because I'm sure there's, there's, there's a lot more to come yet. I'm going to challenge the, 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 what you've said in terms of you've, you've learned that you, you weren't superwoman because actually... <laughs> I'm not quite sure how one person does all of that stuff and makes the impact that they do. So I think I might need to challenge that. Um, I think, as you've said, it's so, so obvious that um, that you're values driven, that what you do is about making a difference. And there's so many people. I think for me, when I came into the rail industry nine years ago now, this is the thing that really stands out for me, that I had no idea that there was this huge body of people working in an industry who so many of them, when I would say, you know, so why do you work in the rail industry? What attracted you? Well, I want to make a difference. And there's there's very much this kind of understanding that it's it's about so much more than putting somebody on a train and getting them from A to B. It's it's that whole kind of what, what difference it makes. Um, what I'm really fascinated by um, is, was there a plan? 
do you know when you set out because it's you know you it, you kind of have gone it, it's gone a bit zigzaggy but was there a plan was there a was there a career strategy at the outset Lorraine uh, I would absolutely absolutely say definitively no <laughs> um you know, I, I was the first in my in, in my family to go to university. I did comparative American studies, which is an interdisciplinary degree around the history of the Americas, and I did that because I wanted to I wanted to understand black history ostensibly, and and the things we looked at were the history, economics, literature of the Americas, North America, South America, and the diaspora, all of the different peoples that kind of populate the Americas. Yeah, I had I think notions of of I, I, I'm. I've got a whole creative bent to me, which I haven't fully explored or exploited, but I had notions of kind of being a, a writer or doing a radio production or, you know, something artsy, but I, I kind of never went in that track. Um, I kind of ended up in doing, you know, uh, sort of, I guess using my creativity around policy, around developing strategies. And I guess the things that have, have motivated me, Nina, uh, opportunities to make make a difference. So so not a plan per se. Um, needing to you know make sure I get paid, <laughs> feel yes. some fulfillment from 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 the work. Yeah. Um, uh, making sure I'm not exploiting anybody. You know those kind of things have, have, have been the bedrock. But if you ask me, you know if you ask the 18 year old Lorraine or the 30 year old Lorraine, mm. what's your plan? I, I really wouldn't have one. It's just been you know to do my best in environments where I think I can thrive and, and, and contribute yes that's the plan and I think what's again from my outside perspective what's happened as you've gone through that is that your own personal brand if I can call it that and the visibility of you and who you are and what's important to you um, is really out there so I just think when when we listen to the work that you've done and are still doing and the different things that you've been involved with as you said you know like the Windrush review for example I would imagine that there are people who are listening or watching to this conversation who are thinking how do you get involved in that then how do you you know how do you make sure that people know that you're available interested could add value. Um, and I think a lot of that around visibility is really key. What would your advice be there for people who want to, to be more visible and add more value? That's a really fantastic question because I I I, I kind of I, I don't think I'm necessarily that adept at, at putting stuff out there. And I and I don't necessarily think that it's about me and Lorraine, but more that the the causes and the things that I'm interested in. And I guess being in both being in the right place at the right time, but also, you know, not being afraid to put my hand up um, to to participate or to do something. So, you know, I'm, I'm highly competitive as an individual. I, yeah, not that I'm competing against people, but I really do want to win and do my best. Yeah, I want to be the best. Um, and again, not at the expense of others, but, you know, the kind of internal drivers around really high standards of performance. I really... Um, committed to good behaviors and I, and I like people I like to work with different um, organizations I'm, I'm very curious mm. um, and I'm very open so I think that that has enabled me to, to to kind of work with you know a raft of different people and I guess the things that I've done reflect the the, the breadth of interests that I have yeah um, and I've been sufficiently fortunate enough to be in positions to be able to kind of spin <laughs> different plates at, yes. at different times you know and, and I think for me the advice for people is I guess you know I, I talked about being in the voluntary sector that is a, a real opportunity to hone your skills mm. hone your um, knowledge and you know thinking um, and so that for me has been really a really great bedrock upon which to kind of rehearse some of the things that I want to to achieve through the course of, of, of my work yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, for me, I'm open and, and curious and interested. Yes, and hopefully that's what helps people, you know, kind of work with me. Yeah, yeah. I could also I, be quite challenging, right? Okay, said. which is good. <laughs> which is yeah, good. Because, yeah, yeah. And I think it, yeah, because the thing I won't change, so I can't. You know, I don't really want to be co-opted. I want to be able to 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 be able to yeah challenge and say what needs to be said and. Mm -hmm. And, and chibi things along, uh, you know, and, and, and kind of box and cocks as needs be. But yeah, I guess it's it's 
being prepared to have a go. Yes, love that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, when you reflect back again over career to date, are there some kind of key points or, or pivotal moments, if you like, that you can look at and say, okay, that's that when that happened, that sent me in this direction, or this has helped me in terms of um, getting to where I am now. So almost kind of, I don't know if you remember that film from many years ago now, Gwyneth Paltrow, I think it was, Sliding Doors. And it's kind of, you know, what happens if you make that decision or that decision? Um, yeah. Have you any had any sliding doors moments, Lorraine? Yeah, that's really interesting. So, so I, I don't know that they're sliding doors, but I, I can remember some real pivotal things that helped me crystallise both what I want to do and what I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned the the the, the experience of working and, you know, leading a mental health provision and, and the experience of having to close a, a, a really important service <laughs> for vulnerable people was a really salutary one. So, you know, I, I don't say it lightly. I, you know, I, I came with a really good reputation. I'm really used to delivering high quality, high standards. And to not be able to do that was was a beautiful lesson for me. You know, it was a gift because then it's recognising both my own limitations, but also the extent to which I can influence or not influence all which things are not within my gift. Um, And so for me, it it made me make a really hard decision to close a service for for service users. And I was clear I didn't want to be in that position again. Um, So being really... I guess, diligent about the opportunities that I take up and the things that I think I can manage and, and therefore make a difference on. So that so that that was really important. Also, I worked for an organisation called the, the Audit Commission. And I think why that was pivotal was because it honed my experience around um, making judgments and investigating things. So the Audit Commission used to go into local authorities, health authorities, police authorities, housing authorities, uh, fire and rescue and and talk about the value for money that these public services were offering and it required us to go in find the evidence both written speaking to people make a judgment and then give a give a score mm. and people's livelihoods depended on 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 our judgment so it's really important that the evidence that we had was really robust yeah. and i think then applying that to working around diversity and inclusion has been i think a really important asset to, yeah. to, to, to both to my skills but also to to my approach then moving into working in in on the uh, the olympic park the construction of the olympic park um i guess two things were were, were really important lessons one was about aligning diversity and inclusion squarely to the business of construction because so construction really you know uh uh, I've got to think of the word, a very straightforward business in a sense. Yeah. You know, you specify that we're going to build this thing two times, yeah. two budget, and then you overlay stuff, safety standards, sustainability, diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. So how to make those topics feel part and parcel of the day job was an important thing for me. And I had to learn the language of construction in order to communicate right. with my yeah. colleagues and peers. So yeah. it was the first time I really had to align things and speak their language so the language around project management and risk and all of that stuff really really refine it and hone it so that was a great lesson for me because it made my work intelligible yes they could look at gantt charts and they look at they could see the progression and you know and all of those things uh, i think were really and and there's not i don't know that that's necessarily the rigor with which diversity and inclusion is always approached. So having that kind of programmatic approach where you can see things and you can articulate it in ways that other people can can understand is really important. And then I guess the final pivotal moment, again, it's in relation to um, the construction of the Olympic Park was was, um, Sir David Higgins. So his leadership, his engagement and his authenticity was incredibly enabling for me. So I'd worked with a, a number of chief execs Mm-hmm. Um, up until that point and what I remember to this day was that, that I joined within the first week he, he was part of my induction and he said to me Lorraine if there's anything that gets in your way then you need to come to me and we'll we'll address it and I, I never did but right. the mere fact that he had kind of offered that support and I felt that my chief exec had my back yeah. was a really wonderful refreshing experience and not something I'd had 
particularly in the context of diversity and inclusion. So those are kind of pivotal moments because those are things that have one shaped how I've approached what I do. So I, you know, when I get new 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 people in my team, I say the same thing: is there anything you need? Yes. You know, tell me if anything gets in your way, bring it to me. So you know, you kind of adopt the things that you really want to to do and to be as a leader, being authentic and being engaging and being being inclusive, um, as well as being really rigorous in the approach to what I do. Does does that make sense, Nina? It makes complete sense, complete sense. And I think what what I'm hearing as well is something similar to 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 kind of stories and examples that I share with people when something rubbish has happened in their career when they're not in the place they want to be where they're not in the environment that they're thriving in um, and, and we're having this conversation and I kind of reflect back on times in my career where I felt like that that I wasn't in the right place or I wasn't being led in the way I wanted to be led or etc etc but when you get to a point in your career you reflect back and you can say actually whilst that was not enjoyable at that point if I hadn't learned that lesson then I would not be the person that I am now um, so that those reflections that you've shared with us are brilliant examples of that of, of kind of how um, uh, you know this is a quote that I use quite often so um, I apologize to to listeners and viewers of this because they will have heard it before but you win some you learn some so sometimes yes. it's great and we're winning and other times we're not winning but we're learning um, so so brilliant examples. Thank you for that. Um, and I guess another opportunity for learning is what we've all been through in the last 18 months um, with with having global pandemic, no no guidebook or manual to work from. Um, and we, but we've 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 got through it and we're now entering, obviously, this kind of at the very beginning of a period of massive transformation in this industry. Um, I'm really interested to know how things have changed for you. So what? how is life different now to what it was before, whether that's kind of in a, a personal context of, of, how, of how it's impacted you or your role or, you know, kind of in an organisational context? How's it different? Uh, that's really, that's really a brilliant, 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 brilliant question, Nina. So I guess what's different, I think, is, is levels of accessibility, both in terms of my reach, our team's reach, um, and also people's capacity to reach reach out to me, and and I think that's been afforded by the technology. So Teams, Zoom, you know these you know these virtual meetings yeah. Yeah. have really enabled some fantastic conversations, some really important exchanges, some really great challenges, and, and opportunities to reach um, far more colleagues than I would have done in our traditional ways of working. You know having to get to a physical space, set up the event, have the exchange and all of that stuff. Yeah. You know, this makes it much more immediate, much more, um, for me, much more effective for the, for the nature of, of the work that I'm engaged in. So, so that's been a significant change. I think I've relished working from home. Mm. Two reasons. One, a reduction of the travel, but two, a kind of reduction of the, the, the kind of noise of, of the, of the of the of the, the the business as it were yeah. so uh, contrary to popular opinion i'm quite an introvert so i'm <laughs> an introvert insofar as i'm you know driven by um internal drivers right so i'm, I'm really great by myself i'm great with people like people but i also relish an opportunity to kind of because i'm a strategist i do like to think i do like to kind of plot things and then give that picture to others to kind of embellish yeah. um so having that space has been has played to my strengths. The downside has been um, I think I could do better at balancing the off button. Yeah. So when you're in an office, <laughs> you're physically yeah. in an office, yeah. you physically leave, uh, or, you know, in a building that's not near to you. Yes, yes. <laughs> Whereas, yeah. you know, I'm at home, nice Victorian house, south-facing garden. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm the classic... I'll just do this. Yeah, just and one I'll more just thing. I'll just do this before. Just I one more thing. I just, yeah. just, just, and in a sense, I think, I think, I think that has made us overproductive. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that that's sustainable. No. Um, I think the other thing that I've really appreciated, and particularly for, our, for for those of us that are working in diversity and inclusion, has been the the kind of aftermath of 
the, the murder of George Floyd, the kind of the, the kind of propelling of focus on looking at inequalities, particularly race. Then we look at um, sexism and looking at this, all of this, the, the kind of issues around creating inclusive environments mm. is um, society wide, yeah. and that's that's um, that's a major change. Mm. Um, I think for all of us, you know, for some it's really comfortable, for some it's triggering, for some it's, you know, not really bothered. But the fact that it is the vernacular, in a sense, it's part and parcel of, of what we're doing, I think has been a really, really, really significant change. So I guess there's a kind of off the top of my head, the kind yeah, of brilliant, kind of thing. Brilliant. I definitely, um, the, the off button thing um, is definitely been a theme of the conversations that I've been having with people over the last year and a half. At the beginning, kind of as we went into this in April, May time, so many of the conversations we were, I was having were, we were talking about, we'd, we'd been out for a walk at lunchtime or you could have an extra hour in bed because you, your commute wasn't there, you know. You spent more time with your family. You did a, a, a yoga class online or whatever. There's all these things. And then there was a noticeable shift as we got to July, August time, where people were, that they, that conversation had gone. We were then into, well, I'm working 14 hours a day um, and everybody's on all the time. And, and I think, you know, we kind of went from one extreme to the other and then have, have started for that to, to kind of swing back whilst we understand what the future of work looks like. And there's yeah. a lot more trust around because we have been productive. We can work from home and still get the job done. Yeah. Um, but we have a responsibility to ourselves Absolutely. to say, because I, I do exactly what you do, Lorraine. I'm sat out in my, in, the, in my little office in the back garden in my shed. And, you know, I'll, uh, it'll be seven o'clock and I'll think, oh, right. I need to go and make dinner, but I'll just do this. And then, then my husband will be knocking on the door saying, you know, it's quarter past eight. Mm, yes. <laughs> so we need to we need to remain aware. So yeah, we've got this, as I said earlier, we we're we're going into and, and are right at the beginning of a period of, of massive transformation. It it was needed anyway, but it's been accelerated because of what we've been through um as a society but as an industry. If I gave you three wishes. Lorraine for what you would like to be different what change you would like to see as we move forward through this change what would they be um so I think we'd be a safer railway right I think we'd eliminate the harm that we're causing our colleagues mm. um I think we'd be much more rigorous much more robust much more intentional and that would include and will include in in, in my in my in my world you know, attention to psychological safety. Yeah. So if, you know, we've, we've got evidence that shows where people don't feel that they are their best, they're not included in the environment, the environment is less safe. Yeah. And I think a greater kind of concentration on creating environments that are inclusive and therefore psychologically safe will enhance our, our safety mm. record. But I, I think I'd, I'd put that in the three. Yeah. Um, and then creating a more accessible railway. Mm. So I've, focused um, and these are things that are in the offing so you know that they're, they're not without you know they're not out with our our gift in a sense but I guess our challenge is um, intent you know we, we're we've got some really good words some good good intent but it, how genuine and authentic is it um, and how will we make sure that we deliver on the kind of promises that we are making to disabled passengers or or to older people in terms of using our infrastructure much better because if we get it right for for those communities everybody benefits you know harnessing the technology to make it to make it better yeah. and then of course she said we'd have a much more diverse yeah. workforce that reflects the communities you know we would you know the leadership of, of, of our sector will look different yeah. um we will have different voices. I'm all for, I'm all for sustainability, but not necessarily recycling the same people that we have traditionally recycled. I think we need to really hold ourselves to account much better. Yeah. And you know, genuinely give people opportunities to to, to make a difference. So there's a kind of wishes, stroke aspirations, because I think that they potentially are in the offing, Nina. 
Yeah, I, I, I was going to say originally world peace and you know all of that <laughs> stuff. But I, I, thought I, I think I'd have to, I, I would have to have a bigger magic wand for that, Lorraine. To be honest, I think I think my standard size wand will be able to cope with these. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. <laughs> so some some questions to 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 draw our conversation to a close. I'm really interested in your um in, in what inspires you. Because as, I, as I've said to you, you know, I know that many people find find you very inspiring. So I'd like yeah. to know what tops you up. Where do you get your stuff from? Um, so in terms of a leader, this might be a really hard question. So you don't, ha- you know, answer it however you want to answer it. A thought leader or a business leader, is there somebody who inspires you in terms of leadership? Um. Yeah, this is it's really interesting because I've, I've I've worked with so many leaders, yeah. Nina. But currently, I, I I recently became a, a non-executive director of a, a, a brand leading furniture group, and the chief. I'm going to keep them anonymous, but people can Google and find out stuff if they want to. Yeah. But the chief exec of this uh, retail group is phenomenal, right. and I, I think he's phenomenal because his energy. His clarity of vision, his generosity of spirit, his authenticity, um, are, are ab- absolutely palpable. You, 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 you feel it from the moment you kind of have the interaction. And to have that in a chief exec that's trying to then create better diversity and inclusion in their environment yeah. um, is really, really, for me, really, 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 really inspiring. Yeah. So, so I might post this for him to listen to it at the stage, and it, it will give him a nice surprise. But I'll, yeah, I'll keep his name out of that. But but yeah, in terms of a, a business leader, yeah, um, yeah, this is this has been very very refreshing for me. Yeah, fantastic. Do you know what I find really interesting there is that I I believe quite strongly that if if I'd had a conversation with a director of a you know massive organisation like Network Rail five years ago definitely 10 years ago and asked the same question they might have given me an example of a leader a ceo of an organization who was great at strategy who had been educated probably got an mba um you know had done this job this job and this job um and there would be a lot of hard facts in there what you've said to me is around energy clarity of vision um, generosity of spirit, authenticity, these are all the behavioural things, aren't they? And, and I've noticed this in the job that I do. I've noticed a real swing um, and, and kind of what, what still is being referred to as stakeholder engagement and management. I talk about it's people. It's all about people. It's about relationships. It's about communication. But it's very behaviourally led rather than task focused which is what we've been in the past so that really interests me the words you've used to describe that person really interests me and and I think it's because our sector you know the rail sector is traditionally quite hard yeah and 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 you know hard as in you know the physical environment Mm. then I think sets the kind of context for the types of and the critical safety critical nature of our work sets the kind of context for some of the historic behaviors that that we have but you know my work you know if you want to shift a culture you want to be inclusive you want to to have more diversity you want people to feel that they belong and that they're fully engaged and they can deliver high performance is all about the behaviors (laughs) you know and those things I think are really important aspects to be recruiting to yeah absolutely so we talked about a leader who inspires um is there a business out there somewhere an organization that is inspiring you in terms of Therapy. Yeah, this this same business, and I, I guess I'm entreating my listeners to go and do a little bit of googling and see if they can find it. And they if they find it, they can come and tell me, and I'll go. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so this same business, and it, you know, it's it's a retail. I'm I'm new to retail, so I guess I'm being inspired because it's it's new, and I like learning, and I'm curious. Yeah. But again, if you think about it, you're a commercial venture, you're retail, you've got to buy, sell, you know, get get things, ship yeah. things. Yeah. Um. But the way in which they are acquitting themselves for me has been very, very refreshing. You know, great openness, willingness to willingness to learn, mm. really great mix um, of ages, 
and aware of their their challenges you know so you know not everything is rosy in the garden but diversity inclusion isn't about a deficit it's about actually this adds real value to what we're doing and and so for me that feels like a very yeah refreshing environment in which to in which to thrive and what's I guess what's nice for me is you know being a Ned you're kind of slightly distanced from the operation so so having that that kind of space between you know those that are really doing it and and offering and lending your expertise um to, to the exec is it, yeah, it's really refreshing really great I'm I'm, yeah. I'm very excited by it I shall watch with interest because I do know who they are because I did have a google of you before so <laughs> I, I know who they are and I shall watch with interest because um yeah they, they you know they do what they say on the tin so yeah. it's not Ron Seal for the yeah. <laughs> that's their advertising slogan, isn't it? It's not Ron Seal. Um, it does, you know, it does what it says. I shall watch with interest because that's yeah, yeah. really kind of fascinating in terms of um because retail is going to be different. Just read a brilliant book actually by Mary Portis called Rebuild. And okay, it's about yeah. it's, her her background is retail and it's about yeah. the kindness economy and the yes. fact that we're going to have to think people and planet before profit um and and so i think retail organizations that are getting that and understanding yeah, yeah, yeah. that their customer base is going to have a different um maybe not a kind of you know buy cheap throw away in two years come back and get another one but we'll yeah. have a different approach to what they're buying yeah. and how they're buying it so I shall, I shall watch with interest <laughs> um and so i've mentioned a book i'm going to ask you now is there a book we should all read lorraine yes yes and, and i hope i've got the title right so so i'm really into john amici who i think is an absolute guru and if again anyone is listening to it you spell his surname a-m-a-e-c-h-i and his book that he's just published the promise of of giants how you can fill the leadership void i think it's a really important book and i'm really into so i'm really into leadership and leadership development and and you know talking about the behaviors and so this book sets out the things that we can do that we should be looking for expecting of and by holding our people to account and by delivering really fantastic leadership so for me all of us who are leaders and a leader isn't about status or authority it's about you know how you kind of affect change then we should we should be equipped with john's knowledge brilliant and a question it's a personal interest to me when do you read when in your kind of routine your daily routine weekly routine when do you find time to read just before i go to bed yeah yeah me too that's i do little bits in i do little bit snippets in the in the in the day if i can you know small articles but if i'm going to read a book yeah it's going to be at the end towards the end of the day yeah yeah and one last, I did ask you either or a book or a motivational quote, but just in case you've got a motivational quote for me, I'll just, I'll, I'll pop that in at the end and just yeah, so my, my, what inspires yeah, you. Absolutely. My motivational quote, quote, and I've been using it a lot um, lately. So it's, it's Dr. Maya Angelou and it's, people will forget what you say. Yeah. They will forget what you do, but people will always remember how you made them feel. Brilliant. And for me, that's a beautiful way of encapsulating how it is to be inclusive. Yeah. You know, you, it's not it's it's you know, people forget all of the stuff about what you said and what you've done. But they know that connection that you make with people's hearts. The, you know, people know when they're being treated with respect and they know when they're being treated well. Yeah. And so for that, for me, that's my watchword. You know, have I made sure that I've made people feel good about themselves and good about what they're doing? Yeah. I would say you're the living embodiment of that quote, Lorraine. So on that note, I'm going to give you a huge thank you from me, from the heart. I have loved the conversation. I knew I would. I know that our audience will, because it's given us a kind of glimpse behind the scenes in terms of, of who you are, what's important to you, and some really excellent advice and 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 information sharing your knowledge with us about um about things that are really important as we move forward in the industry massive thank you from me ah thank you nina it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you thank you so much thank you
My huge thanks to Lorraine. Every single time I hear her speak, she inspires me and today was no different. I hope you experience the same. Join us in a couple of weeks' time for our next Intuitive Insights podcast with Ben Millway, Finance and Business Systems Director for MTR Elizabeth Line.
My huge thanks to Alex Hines, Managing Director of Scotland Railway, for sharing so openly his thoughts in relation to the UK transport sector and also his experiences and career to date. I loved every minute.